Hello, and welcome back to Technotopia, the podcast about a better future. I'm John Biggs. Today in this show, we have Greg Verdino. He's a business futurist. This is Technotopia. Howdy, howdy. John Biggs here. I wanted to tell you something about my life. I can't maintain my own calendar. It drives me absolutely nuts. And I used to look at it first thing in the morning and think there is no way I am getting any of this done. And I knew I needed help, so that's why I started using Finn as my personal assistant. Finn can do it all. It can schedule meetings with clients. It can answer calls. It can handle travel plans for your business trips. You can find and book service providers to fix things around the office or home. And you can also prospect new business opportunities. It's like a black box for your business. Finn does everything a great assistant can without the cost and commitment of a full-time hire. That's great for me because I work from home and I don't have any place for anyone to sit. Finn has saved me 10 hours plus per week and I know a Finn will help you be more productive so you can grow your business. That's why I've arranged for all of you to try Finn for free. Just use my link, finn.com slash techno. That's finn.com slash techno to try Finn for free. finn.com slash techno. Tell me what you think. Thanks for listening. Welcome back to Technotopia, the podcast about a better future. I'm John Biggs. Today on the show, we have Greg Verdino. He's a business futurist. What, what is a uh, business futurist? Hey, John. Uh, first of all, thanks for having me. Um, so basically, in my work, I help business leaders uh, make sense or think about the kinds of changes that are coming down the pike, the things that might characterize the future, whether they're technological or otherwise, um, and begin to make decisions today that'll better position their companies to survive or thrive once this you know new world of change becomes a reality. Okay, so what are, what are the, some of the biggest changes that you see in the next uh, in the next decade? <clears throat> Sure. I mean, certainly when we're when we're thinking about technology specifically, since this is a technology podcast, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, when, as we're th- as we're thinking about technology, um, you know, there, there's there's a, a you know a laundry list of things. Of course, um, I think that um, businesses are just now beginning to um, come to grips with the idea that they're drowning in data, but don't have big data strategies, and uh, you know, certainly data decision, uh, data driven decision making. Um, is becoming increasingly critical for businesses. Um, certainly, artificial intelligence and machine learning, and the effect that's going to have not only on the business but also on the workforce, um, and um, and of course things like automation, robotics. Uh, when you're looking at blue collar industries or things like heavy manufacturing or process industries, I think are some of the biggest things. Mm-hmm. So, what is um. What is this data doing to companies? Are they are they having to deal with uh, new ways of thinking about business, or, or it's we talk we talk about big data all the time, but what does it actually look like in practice? Am I am I a CEO just sitting there not knowing what the heck's going on? You know, I think that what you know when when you you know obviously different CEOs are different, uh, but I think what's happened more often than not is you know business leaders are making decisions looking in the rearview mirror um, at you know a set of reports that are cut you know too late to really you know to really drive um, the kinds of actions they need to drive, um, and typically what happens is these organizations have all of this data. The data lives in silos, so the customer 
customer service department doesn't see what the marketing department sees and the marketing department doesn't see what the frontline, you know, let's say, you know, service personnel see. So, um, you know, what's happening is decisions historically are made by um, looking at a partial data set and making a whole lot of assumptions and going on a whole lot of gut feel. And it's, I mean, as, as I'm sure you know, it's a gargantuan task to actually bridge these different data sets, make sure that all the, you know, the quality of the data is high, ensure that the data is accessible, available to all of the right people in the right format so that they can make decisions in real time. Um, so really, the it's not that the CEO so much doesn't have access to information and is just winging it. I think the bigger challenge is that the frontline worker doesn't have access to the right kind of information and therefore can't be empowered to make the decisions they need to make um, in their day-to-day work. Okay. So like, I have, I have, a, few, I have a few questions on this. On this topic, um, it sounds like so. So, if they've been doing it the way they've been doing it for decades, uh, why change ultimately? I mean, why mm-hmm. add more complexity to a to a CEO's day? Because I mean, ultimately, the <clears throat> the the whole idea of gut reactions, etc., are the um, are are the basis of this whole CEO cult, I guess you could say. How, sure. How can I? How can you change somebody whose whose primary focus is uh, making decisions based on things that they've just barely that they barely understand in many cases? <laughs> um, so so it's obviously a challenge. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, I guess the the first part of your question, uh, you know, as I heard it was, you know, so it was why change, and then the second part is so how, um, you know, so when you think about the why, um, I don't think it, you know, nobody is surprised, you know, when they hear that some next incumbent company was, you know, was the next company or some, you know, legacy incumbent leader in their industry was the next company to get disrupted. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, so, you know, technology change isn't just technology change, of course, it's human change, right? So, you know, people now have different expectations, they have higher standards of the kinds of experiences they expect of organizations. um, And that's forcing organizations to become smarter about who the customer is and what the customer believes. And um, believe it or not, in 2018, um, there are still relatively few companies, for example, that have a clear and accurate view of what the customer journey looks like. Um, and how customers interact with their brand across all touch points. Um, and you know that that's it's kind of shocking because um, how do you serve a customer you don't truly understand? Mm-hmm. So when you look at you know an increased push towards making better use of the data of the organization, you know you start that you have to think about well how, you know how does that help us as an organization better serve customers? And by better serving customers, how does that position us to better survive in a disruptive future when exponential change is everywhere? Um, you know in terms of how you take the individual leader and and convince them that the way they've always done things is not the way they should be doing things today varies widely leader to leader. But I think what, what most organizations are seeing and feeling is that technological change requires cultural change inside the corporation. Um, and that's probably sort of the, the, the highest 
wall to climb when you're looking at a frankly, you know, 50, 60 year old CEO who's done this, you know, done things a certain way his or her entire career um, and might be more resistant to change. And that's where you see organizations appointing chief digital officers who can either be a catalyst for change in the organization or become a lightning rod for all the things that go wrong. Um, but really, ultimately, it's about rethinking corporate culture and the way leaders lead inside the organization. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to harp on this, but I think the, I think the the idea of a business futurist is is fascinating to me. But I just wonder how to change a business when businesses, I guess, are some of the most solidified sorts of uh, organizations in in the world. I mean, we can, and it's even harder. I can, I can only imagine how difficult it is to change a school, for example. Uh, but convincing somebody that they shouldn't make the widget this way and instead make it this way sounds really difficult. And especially if your entire business hinges on that specific magic of making that widget in a special way. Yeah, I mean, and, and it's a challenge. And you know, I mean, the the short answer is that you know, for any of these businesses, it's a journey. Mm -hmm. And um, I don't think that it's you know, not every business will be able to make these kinds of transformations, but the businesses that don't, you know, I believe over time are going to, you know, they'll continue to stumble, they'll continue to lose share of customer, they'll become increasingly challenged in attracting talent into the organization, you know, as people, you know, not only expect to, you know, customers don't only, you know, not only expect to engage with customer, with companies in new and different ways, but employees now expect something very different from the companies they choose to work for. Um, you know, simple things like, like, you know, flexibility in work environment and work hours, you know, remote working, work from home, uh, to bigger things like the, you know, the drive towards, you know, a freelance economy or a gig economy, however you want to think about it, and all of the things that, you know, maybe not the average day-to-day -day worker today, but ultimately workers are going to have to start wondering what it means when, you know, a large percentage of their routine day-to-day -day tasks can be done more effectively by a machine. Sure. Um, you know, and and you know, and and it becomes incumbent upon the leadership of an organization to have an answer to those kinds of questions. Do these organizations need an answer, or can can they just wing it? I mean, it seems like I can't. We, we can't. We can't define what the world is going to look like in twenty years. We've we've trying our <clears throat> we're trying our hardest in this podcast, uh, but even that's even that's sure. consistently failing. Do should should um, an organization <clears throat> let things happen? Should an organization let change wash over it, or should it should it do certain things right now to uh, to prepare for this whole thing? I mean, I think that you know, if you look back over the course of the last you know ten, maybe even twenty years, um, I think we start to get a pretty good sense of what happens when an organization lets change wash over it, mm -hmm. right? Whether it's you know, the, you know, the music industry wa watching so much of the value get sucked out of you know record labels and 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 record retailers in, and end up in the hands of technology companies, um, or you know, or, you know, of course, you know, all of the normal stuff, you know, a Kodak or a Blockbuster or, a, you know, Xerox even, you know, failing to see the potential in, in, in you know, a visual, you know, <laughs> operating system and a mouse. Um, you know, I think that, you know, the organizations that let, let change wash over them ultimately um, get, you know, get drowned by change um, to, a, to a large extent or a lesser extent. 
Um, that said, you know, you're absolutely right, of course, that we can't predict what the next 10 or 20 years are going to look like exactly. Um, but what we do know is that change is the rate of change is not going to slow down. Um, and the kinds of um, technologies that we're seeing emerge today are only going to become table stakes over the course of time mm -hmm. to one degree or another um, and at different rates of, 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 of going mainstream. Um, and I think, you know, the big thing that most organizations do need to, um, you know, do need to think about is how do they become more comfortable with operating in a state of uncertainty? Um, you know, startups, uh, not that a, not that an established corporation will ever be or should ever be the same as a startup and vice versa, but, you know, startups live in the world of uncertainty mm -hmm. every day, right? They don't know who their market is. They may not know their business model. Um, they're not sure of, you know, of, of all of these things, right? That, that a large corporation takes for granted. Um, large corporations have always, not always, but you know, for you know, our working lifetimes, um, have lived in the world of certainty. Um, and you know, the the big thing that organizations, you know, traditional organizations, incumbents, legacy companies need to get used to, and the leaders inside those companies need to embrace, is the idea that they're now they need to embrace uncertainty, right? Because certain the, the certain thing is that you will get disrupted if you don't change. Um, but they need to get used to operating in ways that are more fluid and more flexible. They need to increase their internal clock speed, even if they don't know exactly where they're going. They need to have a vision for where they would like to go. Um, and they need to, you know, do some hard thinking about how they can begin to put some, you know, basic building blocks in place to, to at least point the ship in the right direction. Mm -hmm. I know this might be difficult to do and, and with the time we have, but what are some of the best practices for doing that? Say I'm running a, I don't know, a tool and die company in Scranton, Pennsylvania, and <clears throat> who am I going to lose in the next 10 years? What employees? I'm going to lose drivers. I'm going to lose, uh, I'm lose uh, robot robots are going to be replacing some a lot of my uh, CNC machining uh, folks. Uh, almost everything can be replaced by. Thinking, how do I prepare for that? How do I prepare uh, my workers for that as well? Yeah. So um, as I mean, it's definitely hard to <laughs> to, to mm -hmm. lay out all of the specifics in the course of of uh, the time we have here. But um, you know, I think that there's you know there. The organization or the leaders in the organization really need to be thinking at two different levels, right? They were a number of different levels. They've got, they've got to, they've got to run the day-to-day -day business, right? There is no, op there is no option to just stop doing what we're doing because the world is changing around us. We still have, you know, payroll to make and quarterly numbers to hit and all of that, you know, mm -hmm. product to ship customers to serve, right? So we need to start thinking about how do we effectively structure a two-speed organization, uh, an organization that goes, that, that, that minds the day-to-day, -day, and an organization within the organization that's focused on, um, at, to start with, digitizing the core, taking the things that we do that could be made more efficient through technology and applying technology to those things, and then innovating around the edges. So finding the uh, ways to extend the business into aligned products and services or um, or experimental business models that allow us to, um, you know, to kind of, you know, define the opportunities where we could see exponential growth over time. Um, the other thing that an organization like you've described, a tool and die manufacturer, where, you know, of course, rightly so, you've pointed out that the workforce by 
its very nature is likely to be heavily impact, impacted by automation, mm-hmm. um, needs to under, you know, needs to make a decision, right, or a series of decisions um, about how far down the path of automation will this organization go. Um, so now you start to move into the area of ethics, which I know is is, is sometimes a, a, a challenging area for business leaders. Um, or, or, or for presidents, um, but um, you need to move into the area of ethics of, you know, just because we can automate, should we automate? And if we do choose to automate, what is our obligation to the workforce? Because the workforce ultimately could find itself out of work. Um, and, um, and, and to what extent is the, the organization responsible for kind of, you know, kind of responsible to the worker, even if it can't be responsible to the jobs? So will there be efforts to upskill and cross-skill and reskill, and what are the limits of that? Um, because somebody, you know, you, you look at an out at a you know a future state, and somebody that you know is a you know is a skilled production line worker manufacturing a tool may not be. Um, easily reskilled to become, you know, an engineer who is skilled at designing a blueprint for a tool that can be three D printed on, you know, at at, at a customer site, for mm-hmm. example. Um, you know, so I think there are, you know, for an organization like that, there are so many considerations as to kind of what the what the boundaries of technological change are and how we incorporate them into the business before we, you know, become, you know, kind of a pure operations machine for the digital age, but end up having far greater negative impact on our community, on the workforce, on the people in the business, then we have positive uh, impact on the, you know, the, the essence of the corporation itself. At what point does an organization have to give up? Um, when it uh, when it becomes blatantly <laughs> obvious that it can't change, um, and um, it sees its business being wholly disrupted by somebody, you know, an organ uh, by a company that it didn't even see coming, <laughs> mm-hmm. or they just buy those, or just buy those folks out. Um, uh, sure. sure. <laughs> mm-hmm. What is a what does a business look like? What does an actual business look like in twenty years? What is it? What what what's your job in that business? As a business futurist, um, you know the good news, I guess, for a guy like me is mm-hmm. that um, you know you know ev- everyone's talking today about digital transformation, and companies are beginning to put their transformation plans or strategies together. Um, what I see in practice, to be perfectly frank, is it you know that kind of devolves into a punch list of technological one-offs. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so you know. You know the whether it's the IT department or the marketing department or the chief operating officer or even the chief digital officer has you know a list of things they're running through. Go, are we doing something with AI? Fantastic. Are we doing something with big data? Great. Are we moving stuff to the cloud? Great. Um, you know, but it's not really a strategic approach. Um, so I think you know certainly not ten or twenty years in the future, but for you know a, a shorter time horizon, I think helping organizations level up those tactical initiatives and in some cases tactical wins into a, a, a whole organization strategy remains uh, an important um, role that I can play, certainly, but more importantly, that organizations must focus on. Um, you know, the when we look at it t- 10 or 20 years ag- from now, um, certainly things are going to continue to change, um, you know, dig- because digital transformation isn't going to be a one-time event. I, I saw a stat recently, I'm not sure what 
the study, you know, who, who fielded the study. Uh, but one of the findings was that something like 21 percent, I'm sure I'm getting the number wrong, but around there, 21 percent of companies said that they had, had successfully completed their transformation as if change is never going to happen again. Um, you know, so, you know, part of what organizations have to do today is build up that muscle for dealing with constant change, because as soon as you've transformed your organization once, the next wave of 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 technology, the next wave, the next shift in consumer preference and consumer behavior is going to hit you again. Mm-hmm. And the next wave of disruptors is going to come knocking at your door and chipping away at your customer base. Um, so, um, you know. I think in 10, 20 years, the most successful organizations will have built these muscles for constant change and will be much more effective at um, at operating in more entrepreneurial ways, even if they're larger organizations. Not everybody will get there, but I think the successful companies almost have to. So if you're so if you're doing your job right and and, and all of these digital plans are going, we're going to be seeing a new a new business model where it's mostly startup attitude, right? So it's, uh, it's less I, about, it's less about the old ways, I guess. Yeah. I mean, I think that's the vision. Um, you know, I think that's the, you know, that's the, the goal, you know, uh, you know, I, I know a lot of times, especially in Europe for some reason, but I know, you know, we hear kind of digital transformation as a term being used interchangeably with in, uh, industry 4.0 or the industrial revolution 4.0, that kind of thing, the fourth industrial revolution. Um, and that always rubs me the wrong way because I, I feel like in a lot of ways, the change that's happening now um, kind of undercuts the very premise of the industrial, you know, estate in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. Um, um, You know, where, you know, we see the end of factory work for human beings and, um, you know, and work theoretically, at least for a period of time becomes, you know, more rewarding, more fulfilling. Human beings can focus on the things that are more uniquely human than punching numbers in spreadsheets or turning wrenches. Um, Over longer term, of course, you know, machines will likely learn how to do the things that are more human. But, you know, for this, you know, sort of next generation of workers, I think, you know, hopefully we'll see something that's a bit more humane um, and a bit more, um, bit more fulfilling uh, as, uh, than, than a lot of day-to-day work. Because, you know, as, as, you know, I think a lot of studies, studies have shown um, a, a shockingly low number of workers, even in you know, companies or jobs where you would think people would be highly engaged, are disengaged from the work they're doing every day. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah. So that that might be a. I guess that's the. I guess that's the answer. If the folks who get displaced have to go do something more, uh, more compelling. Yeah, and then the challenge becomes: How do they get prepared for that? Exactly. And what. What's the obligation of the of the companies they work for, or companies in general, and certainly the education sector, to prepare people for that kind of work? And frankly, to what extent are the individuals who are displaced capable of making the leap? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, again, the, similar to my you know my the tool and die example. If you you know if you're you know sewing shirts in a sweatshop factory, can you become a fashion designer? Um, maybe yes, maybe no, but it's not going to be an easy haul to get there, um, which then raises a whole bunch of other things we probably don't even have time to discuss, like now, do we need universal basic, basic income mm-hmm. to shore people over as they try to make that transition? Yeah, that's a that's an interesting point. I mean, are, the 
I was, it was, I was, I didn't want to get too cynical on this because this is a podcast about a better future. Um, yeah. <laughs> but will <laughs> will the uh, will the world allow for uh, this kinder, gentler kind of situation? We can talk about it all we want, and you, as a business future, should be talking yeah. about it on a daily basis. But does the tool yeah. and die manufacturer actually care about it? It's uh, it's it's the, yeah. And, yeah. And, and do they do they enact policies and do they make uh, make business decisions that are that that can be uh, that re- reflect that? Yeah, that that's the question, and you know, uh, you know, a futurist in my view at least and i know different futures will have different views but a future is in my view isn't about you know doesn't make predictions per se um we can forecast where the world may go but may is the key word there right there are you know a number of possible outcomes um that we may be moving towards one would be a you know a, a promising future you know uh, you know, they, you know that you know kind of looks a lot like the things we've been discussing so far. But the other would be a much more pessimistic future in which organizations say, you know, enough of this, right? You know, this is all about us. We're going to consolidate power. We're going to consolidate wealth. Um, we don't care about anybody else. The economic divide becomes larger, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, where we now have a massive social and economic crisis um, that goes global. Um, you know, that's the downside. <laughs> but um, you know, but I think then it, you know, kind of part of my part of my job, and a lot of a lot of what I do, you know, while I do work with clients, a lot of what I do is kind of spark some of this kind of thinking by speaking at events, and. Um, and, you know, ultimately, when I speak in an event, I can't tell, you know, I don't know what happens inside the organization, but I hope that by planting some of these seeds and painting the picture of a better future that, you know, that that is um, that, that that benefits, you know, not just the workforce, but the organization itself and mm-hmm. vice versa, um, that, you know, some of the leaders in organizations or more importantly, the rising leaders in organizations who will have more authority in those organizations in the coming 10 or 20 years um, feel some obligation uh, and some opportunity to really shape the future of the company and beyond um, in a way that is more positive than negative. Fascinating. All right. Well, Greg, I think we have plenty more to discuss on this topic, but I think uh, we're running out of time. Um, where can people find out uh, who you are and where they can hire you? Sure. So they can find me. My website is gregverdino.com. They mm-hmm. can find me on Twitter at gregverdino.com. And if, if folks are interested in this kind of topic, the future of work, digital transformation, as I said, I do a lot of events. There's a series of events coming up uh, where um, I will be uh, talking about this kind of stuff along with other panelists and speakers Um in uh where are we going to be we're going to be in dallas we're going to be in atlanta we're going to be in san francisco so for anybody you know in your listening audience that's in those markets Mm -hmm. um they can go to bluejeans.com slash city tour and it's a free event if they happen to be in the right place at the right time we can have lots of good conversation about this stuff too oh very cool all right sounds good thanks greg for joining us this has been technotopia i'm john biggs we will see you next week Technotopia is brought to you by Happy Fun Corp. Happy Fun Corp is a design-driven technology company in Brooklyn, New York, that specializes in building mobile and web applications for startups and Fortune 500 companies. Whether it's a new mobile or web application that will help people experience the Internet in a fun new way, or software that will interface with a new piece of top-secret hardware, Happy Fun Corp is always up to the challenge. 
Big or small, Happy Fun Corp loves building software and loves working with great people. Come build with them. HappyFunCorp.com. Technotopia is also sponsored by Jaywalk. Jaywalk is a new app that pays you to walk. You can try it out at jaywalk.me. It's created by me, John Biggs, and a few of my friends. jaywalk.me, please check it out. <laughs> 